is Annie Irish, the host of Cunt Talk, and here I am with my first guest ever, A&R Administrator at Universal Records, Nikisha Bailey. Nikisha, thank you for being interviewed on Cunt Talk. No problem. Hi, Annie. Hi, everyone. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's Sunday. It's a beautiful day outside in New York City. It is. It's about 54 degrees outside, and, and it's sunny and beautiful, and here we are. Drinking mimosas. We, yes. <laughs> we are in my kitchen. Talking about tattoos today, feminism, the music industry, Nikisha's rise to fame. Um, On the rise. Brooklyn, yes. (laughs) So, Nikisha, you're a St. Louis native. Yes, born and and raised. And you've been in Brooklyn for, we were just talking about this, about 10 years? Yes. Nine, nine and a half. Yes. And you've lived in Flatbush since you you moved here, is that right? Yeah, this is the first neighborhood that I uh, moved to and I haven't left. To, I've been here about four years, so I, I can understand. It's, it's very, very nice here. Yes. Very community-oriented, lots of bars, lots of restaurants. I We actually met in a local bar that is no longer open, like in Bart Tavern. Mm-hmm. We should do a shout-out to them. LBT. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just, you know, have questions for you today about your interesting life and your tattoos and, and you as a aspiring music person in the industry. So, yeah, tell, tell me how you got started. Uh, well, I moved to New York um, when I was 22. I'd finished college in St. Louis. I went to school for audio engineering, and I originally wanted to be like a mixing mastering engineer. I moved here and I interned at a couple studios. I was at the Lodge, uh, which is a mastering house, and I was at Sony Studios for two years. And then I realized that it was very hard to make a living as an engineer. Um, so I went back to school to do more so like TV radio stuff Um, and this was after me being in New York for like three years I went back to school um, so I could intern and I got an internship at Atlantic Records in the video department which is not what I do now but you know you learn to take anything you can get especially when you're just trying to get your foot in the door so I interned there for like six or seven months uh, position became available in the A&R admin department, and I walked in and I said I wanted the job, and five, six years later, uh, I'm at, not there anymore. Love you guys, Atlantic, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely been a journey. It's been, you know, like a nine-year process my entire time of living here, so. It's exciting, though. You yeah, it's exciting. Um, you got something right away, and then it just worked out, it sounds like. Yeah, it's still a work in progress, but, you know. Some bumps in the road, it sounds like it was pretty. Still, still need more money. Yeah. More, more, lots of things, but I'm in a good place right now. I'm in a good place. So your job, we were talking about this before we started recording, but do you want to just explain to people out there listening sort of the... the Technical aspects of what you Yeah, do. I feel like people really don't know what A&R is, I, yeah, and they really I, don't know what A&R what, admin what, is. What's, yeah, what does that stand for? So A&R is artist and repertoire, so you're either helping the artists that we have on our roster develop new music, linking with producers, or you're scouting for um, new artists. And the admin side of that is making sure that process doesn't go crazy, so you're monitoring the spend, you're like... Um, handling like the mixing and mastering, coordinating like file delivery, sending out producer paperwork, helping negotiate money because people never talk about money when you're in a studio. When you should talk about money, people never talk about money. So you're kind of like the cleanup person for A&R and you, well, not really cleanup, but you guys kind of act as a team 
to get this project out the door with like no legal ramifications. Even though I'm not really a lawyer, I look, you know, I did a lot with like legal terms and basic legal agreements and knowing how to like look for key things in agreements. Sounds like a lot of work that you do. There's a lot that goes into being an artist and repertoire. There is, there is. I actually was um, contemplating going back to school to be an attorney. Oh, wow. But then all my attorneys said, do not do it. Um, So I'm I'm like... Entertainment lawyer? Yeah. Just because I'm like, I'm looking at agreements all day. I'm talking, you know, basic legal stuff. I feel like, you know, it might help me bump up if I get a legal degree. Um, And all of my entertainment lawyer friend said no don't do it i know nyu does have a program that is offered yeah to... they told me to go to that program that's more a music business okay um unless like i'd be in law school for and take all those awful law tests the l stats <laughs> yeah it's not for everyone so i might i'm looking at nyu i think um I even though go, full disclosure i'm currently a student there Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's, it's, it's a good school. You, okay. know, you should consider it. Uh, <laughs> um, so moving on, I just have been curious as well, like what your experience as a woman in the music industry has been like. Is there a lot, or are there a lot of women in your position? Funny enough, on the admin side, both um, labels that I've been at, it's primarily women. And I think it's because women are very good at keeping details and keeping people on track, where the ANRs that we work with closely are men. So it's kind of like that dynamic of a man goes out and does like the quote unquote dirty work of handling the artist, and the woman comes in and tidies everything up. Um, there's not a lot of women ANRs or women executives. Um, I think right now at Universal, we have like, Universal is a large company. It's probably like 20, 25 labels under Universal and maybe like five women executives. Oh, wow. Um, and when I was in Atlantic, it was Julie Greenwald, um, who's always on the Billboard top most powerful women in music. So being there for a few years was also really empowering because I got to see like, you know, a woman run things. But like on the lower levels, it's still, you know, women are still not paid equally, um, expected to work super hard, kind of like the cleanup person. Still sounds like gender dynamics are oh, totally. very much alive and well in the music industry. Totally. We're, uh, you know, we're still the fixers for a l- various aspects of life, but like definitely so in the music industry as well. Do you think there's room for change? I do. Um, from stories that I hear from like back in the day in the industry where women were just treated like even more or feel free to swear it's okay or poorly um or I, not. I actually don't swear a lot okay. in real life so that's okay I, I just um, I might the name of the show is gun talk so uh feel free you okay I'm not bleeping it out um uh but for example um there is an executive who would go around and check to make sure that the women had manicures and pedicures or see what type of shoe you're wearing, or what bag you're carrying. Was this the 80s, the 70s, the 60s? No, maybe like 10 years ago, 8 years ago. That's awful. Like, you know. That's awful. And we're often told as a woman in the industry, you you should dress a certain way to work. And I'm like... What what does that mean? I don't wear heels. Um, I mean... (laughs) 
business casual, I'm assuming. Yeah, business casual. But, but it's, it's the music industry. And yeah. People are allowed to be provocative and get a, get away with things. Yeah, or if, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't if men are wearing imagine. sweatpants to work, I can most certainly wear sweatpants to work. So I definitely, you know. Interesting. <laughs> it is really interesting. Is your department particularly well-dressed? No. no. Um, we're, I, mean, we're, I mean, we dress nice, but we don't like wear heels and a face full of makeup and have I already done every day. But do you feel a need to dress a certain way? Because you... I feel the need... It's funny. The longer... I just feel the need to dress comfortable. Like, I'm not going to be comfortable, you know, dealing with different people if I'm not comfortable with what I'm wearing. So... Good point. My motto is, like, what you see is what you get. I dress up. I do dress up, you know, but I don't feel like I have to dress up in order to get further ahead or to have people pay attention to me because... You know, at the end of the day, the work you do speaks more loudly and super clear as opposed to what heels you have on. That's very well said, Nikisha. Oh, thank you. Um, I really, I really want to talk to you about tattoos. I've been mm-hmm. wanting to talk to you about this for a long time <laughs> in this in this way. Annie and I both have a lot of tattoos. <laughs> so, just thinking about tattoos in general and the way that people describe them. Would you consider yourself to be a heavily tattooed woman? I would. And I think based on the definition of others, but in my head, I wouldn't call myself necessarily heavily tattooed because there are some people who are just covered head to toe. Right. I would say that I'm moderately tattooed. I agree with that. I mean, I've thought a lot about this from my own standpoint and mm-hmm. my own research on tattoos and feminism and the history of the freak show. But there's a book that I just read that came out called Covered in Ink by Mm -hmm. Beverly Thompson, who's a professor upstate New York at Seneca University. And she talks a lot about this idea of being heavily tattooed and what that means. But it's something I've been thinking about in my own research. And I think about it in terms of how much surface area you have covered. Yes. So, Makisha has a sleeve, which is you know, the entirety of one of her arms covered, and you're talking about this a little bit before. You have some on your back, you have your legs, mm-hmm. some on your thighs, and are, if I'm wrong, tell me if I am. The bottoms of both, like from the knee down on both legs, are Yes. Good? I have a lot of tattoos. I do. More I tattoos do. than me. I um, have a lot, too. You have a lot. I, you have more than me, though. You, you have more extensive work done. I think it's more finished, and I have a lot of stuff in progress. Do you think that being heavily tattooed has made a difference in your job at all, working in the music industry or interacting with certain people, or do you feel that you've been maybe treated differently because I think you in the music industry, it's 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 kind of hard because I remember I'm really good pers- friends with the person that hired me as an intern at Atlantic. And she was like, I was interviewing you, and I just kept noticing your tattoos. Like, wow, this chick has a lot of tattoos. Um, and I don't think that discouraged her or, you know, helped her choose me over another candidate, but it's definitely something that people notice. I think more so, um, within the past five to seven years, tattoos are so popular. Like, they're pop culture now, or basically, you know, they used to be taboo, or everybody has them. So, sometimes I think people notice them and sometimes they don't, like... Older people in the business might notice them, but a lot of the time I think people don't really don't really care. Now, if I'm interacting with like an older lady who's been in the industry for like a good thirty years, she might like look a certain way at me or like give me the side eye. But I I definitely think I don't know. I think tattoos are just 
maybe music specific it's just like the norm no, I agree. It seems that more people nowadays have them, and I think probably working in the industry, music industry, you encounter a lot of artists with mm-hmm. them. So it's surprising that certain people would look at you differently within your record label yeah. because you have them, and you're just reflecting the yeah. the reality of the marketplace that you work in. Yeah, but these are probably also the same people who look at me for not wearing heels or that's true. My hair looking unkempt, or I have like a giant purplish red curly type fro thing going on. It's great. Um, yeah, I the definition of what it is to be a woman in the music industry I think is is evolving because the men never really had to have this evolution. You they just when you know, they can come to work however they want to come to work. And you're contributing to the conversation. Yeah. Especially in your position and what you do. Mhm. Um that's interesting. And what is your experience as being a heavily tattooed woman, woman been like? I mean, have you noticed at certain points when you started to get more heavily tattooed that people interacted with you differently, or maybe you didn't experience that at all? In, in general life experience, there definitely is a stigma around women that have a lot of tattoos, like you're hypersexual, or like you have some sort of emotional issues. I'm like, no, I just like art. I like colors. I want them on my body. Um, so when I first moved here and even in St. Louis, you know, people, and especially being like African-American, it's not very common to see like black people covered in tattoos. You know, people would look, they would be like, oh, why would you do that? You know, what does your mom think? And I'm like, my mom actually loves my tattoos. She goes to church every Sunday and she talks about them with her church members. So (laughs) my mom was a pretty cool mom. I did a lot. I had faithful piercings. I was like. I was a wild child, more so in the appearance aspect. I was always a nerd, but I had like maybe like 10 piercings in my face, covered in tattoos, green hair. And she was just like, oh, that's just my daughter. I mean, maybe she knew it was like a phase or, but, um, but yeah, women that are, are heavily tattooed were definitely hypersexualized. And people think that, you know, maybe we're not as intelligent. Um, cause, and they can like just I dudes like catcalling like I, yeah like I get that. my tattoos are not a calling card <laughs> so totally I remember once two summers ago walking to the subway and having a man st- I was wearing a tank top and a skirt or a dress I forget and a man stopped me and told me quote I want to suck off all of your tattoos unquote. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I was offended. It was You're like, disgusting. is your mouth a laser? <laughs> I, I, a pacifier, maybe? I, I don't know. I just, I, all these things, I don't, I don't understand why being heavily tattooed is yeah. an open advertisement to yeah. be, have men, uh, you know, aggressively approach you yeah, in, I mean, a, in a sexual way. For some reason, they feel like maybe they can respect you less because you have tattoos. But I'm like, I I don't see that, you know, correlation. No, I agree. And it's not just women with tattoos. It's women mm-hmm. in general, and especially mm-hmm. in the city. I think that's important to say. But I, I don't know. I feel that sometimes maybe I get it more than other women. Or just other heavily tattooed women that I know. I feel yeah. that maybe they're approached more often than yeah. other women. They see it as an imitation. Yeah, because... Or I've had people even say to me, you know, you have a tattoo on you, so obviously you want to be looked at. 
which yeah. is not the case. No. I'm not, ta- I'm not tattooing myself to objectify myself. I'm tattooing myself because I'm, I like... That's what I want to do. Exactly. It's my choice. Exactly. Uh, is there much of a tattoo scene in St. Louis? There actually is. Um, the it's Again, it's like more so the music indie like counterculture um a lot of my friends back home are heavily tattooed i have really good friends who are amazing tattoo artists who've done the majority of the work in my body um which job you can give them a shout out (laughs) back in the day i used to go to trader bob's um cheap trick amanda pepper uh jamie toon um yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of my friends have done my work for me, and there is definitely a scene, um, and it's more it's more so not people don't really have them. If they have, I guess, a super professional job, like maybe it's just a different New York thing. Because I work in Midtown, so I see a lot of like accountants, brokers, like people that make a ton of money and wear suits every day. But I've also had. Men in Midtown come up to me, see my tattoos, like, wow, look at my tattoos, too. And they, like, roll up their fucking yeah. suit sleeves yeah. and their pants sleeves. I'm like, oh, shit. And they're like, yeah, I'm cool, too. And I'm like, oh, all right. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there definitely is a tattoo um, culture in, in uh, St. Louis. I think one of the co-owners of Daredevil Tattoos is from St. Louis originally. Yeah. 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 The, um... Yes. Yes. Carrie, maybe? There was someone that worked in Inkeri, I think, but he, that may or may not be correct. <laughs> they just opened the tattoo museum last summer at Daredevil Tattoos. Oh, cool. Um, it's in the uh, the Bowery area. No, that's not right. It's on Dieter Street, something with a D. This is like, I should probably cut this out. Um, <laughs> or we can tell your fans to use Google. Daredevil Tattoo, everyone. It's on... Divider Street? Division? Division Street. Division Street in New York City. That's in the Lower East Side? It's down there. Yeah. Lower East Side area. Great tattoo shop. Um, moving on. We were... Uh, I don't know. You, we seem to have had a lot of strange experiences between the two of us with being heavily tattooed, but what's one of the stranger or the strangest things that's ever happened to you on the job? To bring it back to music. Mm-hmm. That's related to my tattoos or just in general? In general, I mean, sometimes you get like... Tattoo related. (laughs) Both? As a woman, um, (laughs) I think when I'm dealing a lot, you know, with third parties, so people that I don't necessarily work with every day, but if I have to interact with like producers or managers, um, they, you know... They'll, like people will send me flowers or really I've had people like stalk me on my work phone like romantically wow. they like take my card in a professional manner and then they end up just trying to like you know take me out or whatever how do you handle that I don't respond or I tell like I'll give you one like I'll be like I'm not like for this one guy I was like I am not interested in you in that way I gave you my card in a like professional setting and you were taking it way out of context. Right. <laughs> so I gave him that one warning, and he kept calling, and I just blocked his number. That's a lot of a lot of people, I, I think, experience this in online dating and in everyday settings. Mm-hmm. This idea of microaggression. Mm-hmm. You know, people taking exactly what you described. You're giving someone a card in a professional way, and then they see it as a, an invitation yeah. for something else. 
And then I also think, but I mean, I'm I'm naturally a friendly person, so I think sometimes men take that as like an, okay. a, another invitation. Yeah, and I'm like, no, I'm just a nice Midwestern gal. <laughs> I, I don't that. want to go out with you. Right. Or if I've had, I've had people try to like slip me money. It's it's so weird. I'm like, why are you giving me this money? I don't want your money. And I would want more than a hundred dollars if you were to give me money. Wow. <laughs> That's- with writing yeah people are weird i don't know men, if it's, it's the city or men in general i think it's a power thing especially the money thing like i will just give you money yeah i'm like i i don't i can no i don't need your money but then it becomes transactional and then yeah. i feel that there's an, ex, an expectation on their end and i'm like what are you paying me for i get paid already through well, exactly. this company so or when you're at a bar and you order a drink or someone orders you a drink of either sex and they just assume that because that drink has been bought for you they've bought you that time for the duration that it takes you to drink the drink mm-hmm. when you can't I, I just say thank you and walk away yeah but people get insulted and then they you know i've just been thinking a lot about the epidemic of young women in the u.s today who have been um what you're describing men or or other women but it's been mostly men it's sort of this epidemic of men approaching women and they turn them down and then these women end up either assaulted or murdered yeah and just that because you've chosen to say no, men are react specifically men, and I'm not men man bashing, but there seems to be this sort of bigger picture thing happening. Yeah, just the way that women are treated, and women have the ability to say no, and men not taking that lightly, and yeah. they don't want to be rejected. It's it's like just because I'm having a conversation with you does not mean I'm attracted to you, sexually or romantically. You yeah. know, we're just talking or just casual i i'm allowed to just talk right so actually i have to explain that to like my interns like once they leave me and they go out and they're like you know they come to me with certain situations where they're like oh this you know producer this manager um invited me out to dinner to talk about my career and then he wanted me to go back to his hotel room um so you know it's definitely and then you know they feel like it's something they did wrong I'm like, no, I mean, you can go out to dinner with the person. Going out to dinner doesn't mean sex. Like, you know, going out for a drink doesn't mean sex. I'm going to your hotel room. It's the power dynamics again. So. Feeling like someone's in a position of power and they can help you out. And then feeling that they need to, they owe them. Yeah. And then advice it's fucked up. But the way that you have your power is to say no. Like, she's like, well, I didn't do anything. And now he won't, you know, respond to any of my texts or calls. And I'm like, you know. Well, you, next time you see him, act like nothing happened, and you know, you're you hold the power. Don't let him know that you're you feel you're having these feelings or these doubts about yourself just because you said no. There's nothing wrong with saying no. You were just describing an experience with one of your female interns. Have yeah. you ever had? I'm sure you have male interns as well. Have they ever come to you with a similar situation? I've actually only had one male intern. Okay. <laughs> I usually hire women or girls to intern. Um, just because I've, you know, I mean, it might be sexist, but <laughs> it's a lot harder for a woman to get hired at a label and to have the opportunity to be, you know, their intern supervisor to be another woman is something that I think that makes sense is super like powerful. Because my intern yeah. supervisor was a woman. And I got to see how she interacted and handled things so sorry boys but i mean if you're qualified i will look at your resume give you an interview you're an equal opportunity employer (laughs) yes (laughs) um 
Well, speaking of the next generation of women in the music industry, what advice would you give to women trying to break in? Trust your gut 100%. Um, you'll hear a lot of no's. You'll be offered a lot of easy ends, but always trust your gut. Nothing is super easy, you know, and it sucks, but in, in order to prove yourself, you have to work twice as hard as men and sometimes for twice as long. Like, I have friends that are male who started off as interns, but now they're, like, running departments where I still have, like, two or three steps to go before I get to their, their same level. And we start at the same time, and I work harder, um, but it's because they're male, they're offered that, that, that their ladder is a lot quicker than mine. That sounds frustrating. It is, but you know, I keep, I keep it in my head that uh, hard work always pays off, and the fruits might not be showing right now. But if you know you you work hard, you know you eventually will get the result that you're trying to attain. It's, it's the hope. Yes, game. and you make a lot of friends along make a lot of friends along the way. Yeah, that's true. It's, feel that it's your friends that'll be the people that'll help you out the most in the end. Mm -hmm. Especially in the city. Mm -hmm. It's a hard place to be. Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess I just two quick things before we wrap up. Started, oh, wow. Um, it's, it's gone quickly. It's, yeah. It's good. It's been a first. Casual conversation. Yeah. My, the, Prosecco is flowing. Yes. My <laughs> podcast cherry has been popped. <laughs> so... Yeah, um, we've talked a lot about this throughout the conversation today, but what do you think or where do you think feminism and the music industry intersect and diverge? I know there's been a lot of conversation around Beyonce last year and mm -hmm. the Grammy, um, you know, her, her performance at the Grammys with the big feminist mm -hmm. sign in the background, and now, you know, Rihanna's video, Work Just Drop with Drake, mm -hmm. and just a lot of people in the Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere and online are just empowered women using men in different ways in their videos. Not using, but mm -hmm. I don't know if you have a, just examples of, but just being on, boots on the ground working in the industry. I think, I mean, you just have to carry yourself as if you are the same as a man, even though you're not the same, you're a woman, you're feminine, you have different things about you, that you just have to carry yourself in that same manner that... You know, our gender doesn't make us any different. I expect the same respects. And, you know, I, I I know that I'm not seen as your equal, but I act as your equal because that's how I feel. And I think that's ultimately how we're going to, um, you know, overcome that ladder I was talking about, about women having to work twice as hard for less money, is that if I'm bringing the same... Or more to the table than you are. You you know, you can't deny it. It's like, you can't deny Beyonce. So when she puts something in front of you, she's worked super hard. I love Beyonce. <laughs> I love Beyonce, too. I love too. Beyonce so much. Um, and then, we have to, as women, we have to learn not to attack each other. It's, it's funny. Some of the experiences I've had, it's never been on a personal level, like with the men, but like with the ladies, it is. Like, you know talking behind each other's backs or like you know you're oh you're not wearing those shoes or you know oh you're hanging out with this person you must be doing this like six drama yeah although correct me if i'm wrong i feel like beyonce and rihanna have never had any beef but i don't know 
It doesn't seem that they have. And if they did, it wouldn't be you don't public. Know it. it wouldn't you be don't public. Know it so it's the same with boys. And it's like the like the boys' club. Men might fight, but like, you know, they're they're never gonna put it on front street. Like executives might be fighting. Or Kanye West. Or Kanye. Kanye's he's a special one. Yes. <laughs> he's a special one. Last week, Dr. Phil tried to diagnose what's going on. Yeah. Well, if you think about the flip side, there's a lot going on there. If Beyonce or Rihanna were ranting like Kanye right now, they'd be seen in a completely different light. They would. Like people would try to take away from their artistry. They would. As an artist, and no one's really trying to take away from Kanye. They're saying he's crazy. He's nuts. You know. They would probably say the same thing about Beyonce or Rihanna or another female industry star but mm-hmm. crazy has a different connotation when it's attached to a woman yeah than a man history of hysteria yeah Roy, all of that and calling a man crazy is i don't even know what the historical context of that is i don't think yeah. there is one like oh he's just crazy he's just crazy <laughs> um i don't feel stigmatizing the mental health industry it's just he's acting erratic and yeah. his twitter feed speaks to that <laughs> i i I didn't want to go there, but no, it's, it's just, I don't, yeah, it's beyond me. Um, do you, do you want to talk about the work, work, work video really quick or not? Oh, we can talk about I, it. I've just been very obsessed with Drake oh, since Drake. Hotline Bling. Um, yeah. Drake it, is a very smart man. <laughs> well, I was watching old Drake videos and 2011, I think he had, I forget the name of the song, him and Rihanna. Rihanna was featuring him in another song. He looks so young. He's he's pretty young. Um, he's Jewish too. Yeah, like young and Jewish. From yes, Toronto. yes, yes. If, if um, things don't work out in the 2016 election, I hope to move there. So, Drake, <laughs> if you're listening, I, I may I may be there in a year. I bet you could find him. I hear he's like you know he's out in these streets. Um, he loves Toronto. But Drake is very he's very smart. He's He's capitalized on the social reaction with social media. So, and he's realized how that connects to catapult you. Like, just drop something to get people talking and it'll spread like wildfire. So, that's true. He's super smart in that aspect. That's why I was obsessed with the Hotline Bling video. The, the James, the artist James Terrell, mm-hmm. who had a retrospective at the Guggenheim mm-hmm. in 2015. Lots of people were talking about the references to that artist's work in the video with the lights mm-hmm. and the shapes. And uh, there was a quote that I ended up finding in some art blog where Drake said that he, quote, fucks with Terrell. And then Terrell responded by saying, you know, I'm, I'm honored that Drake fucks with me. <laughs> so just this sort of alternative yeah. conversation in, in a hip-hop video mm-hmm. that's sort of... That's why I love it. That's it's really cool. Lowbrow and highbrow all at the same time. Yeah. And I, that's, yeah. That's really cool. I know. I kind of have a boner for him in that video. <laughs> and then in the Rihanna video, I don't know if you got a chance to read that thing on BuzzFeed, but it, um, an article came out talking about Drake's ap- appeal to black women mm-hmm. and how Rihanna is sort of using him kind of as a prop in the video, but he's doing something else, and there's this sort of awkward... He's totally a prop and totally awkward in that video, and it's hilarious. Amazing, but though, it is. and she's, like, using it to bolster her sexuality, and he just kind of doesn't... I don't know, Drake's a little awkward in general, but that's why we love him. <laughs> that's the the tracksuit in the video, too. I just... I don't there's know. There's a lot going on. I know. Video. There's a lot. It's a good video. It's, but I, I think I like the, the first version of it better than the second. 
The second one where she's like without a bra and in front of them. She's not really wearing a bra in the first one. It's more of a bikini top. But yeah, it's just them and there's a a couch. Yeah. It's very pink, purplish tones versus being in the dance hall. The restaurant dance hall, yeah. Anyways. (laughs) And he loves Drake. (laughs) I I just I think he's an interesting person in the music industry. Well, I want to thank Nikisha Bailey for taking the time out for Cunt Talk. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was fun. I feel awesome. I'm your first interviewee. This was great. I I hope that you can come back. Yeah. We can talk about... Maybe we can do like some panel type stuff. That would be amazing. Yeah. Maybe get bell hooks. Yeah. Beyonce. Oh. Use your industry contacts. uh, For the greater good. For the greater good of feminism. Yes, this was fun. Thank you. Well, this has been Annie Irish with Cunt Talk.